Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are finishing up the Lord's Prayer today. And so we've gone through it uh, line by line, line by line. So this is week six. And the Lord's Prayer is, is, is more of a pattern than it is just something to repeat. And it's good to memorize the Lord's Prayer. Hopefully, after six weeks of going through it, you're, it's starting to stick. But you're seeing that there is a pattern in this prayer. There's six requests that Jesus teaches us to ask God for. Six. And the first three, we went through each one um, week by week. The first three are directed towards God. So hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So the first three requests, Jesus is teaching us what to pray for. They are completely directed towards God, that God would be glorified in our life, that we would see the kingdom of God come, that, our, that it wouldn't be our will, but God's will in our life. You know, that we, we're not the captain of our own souls. We need, we need God to, to come and, and lead us and guide us. We want his will. And then the last three pertain to us. And so we're going to talk about the last one. But let's just pick up there in verse 9, and let's read, um, let's read it together if we can. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you're reading in the King James Version, it says, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right. And so <clears throat> here we are last week, last requests. Now, these, I think, are really important because sometimes when we pray, I know for me personally, there's a lot going on in my life. And it's hard to narrow it down to, so what does God want me to pray for? What is, who does God want me to pray for? How, how should I pray? And knowing that the first three things that we, so when we come to God, I think the biggest, the biggest opportunity is to get God in our minds. But that before we bring our, our, our problems to God, our daily needs, that I think the first three requests are directed to God so that we get God in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds and know that he's a father, that he's a good God, that, that he's got a plan for my life. But then the last three that get really into the details of our life, they're in three different buckets that are in, you could put in three categories, past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. And so when God asks us to pray for our past, it is, sounds like forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have hurt us. And so when we pray about our past, he's saying forgiveness is a big deal. Because you're going you're gonna to get hurt. People are going to let you down. You're going to let people down. And, and so you got to forgive the people in your life. You've got to forgive yourself. And so when I pray for my past, I don't want to dwell on it. But when I pray for it, I want forgiveness to be at the very top. And then my present. How am I supposed to pray for today? My present. And we've, we titled this whole series based off that one line, Daily Bread. And so every day, Jesus is teaching us to pray for bread. Now, what is bread? Bread's what you need to survive. It's food. It's food for your physical body, for your family, for your community, but it's also food for your soul, your spirit. It's every day God has something for me right now in the present. 
He's prepared a table for me every day. And we want quarterly bread, right? We want monthly bread. We want yearly bread. Like, give me, just give it to me. Let me get a shot and come back and see you next year. But it's every day. It's every single day. In the future, now that's a big deal. Because a lot of anxiety are, you know, what we struggle with lives in the future, what we're worried about. And so am I supposed to pray for protection? Am I supposed to pray for the promotion? Am I supposed to pray for financial means? I mean, think about what keeps you up at night. Most likely it's something in the future that hasn't happened yet. Most likely. Something that's coming. Breaking news. Here we go. You know, there's a, there's a new plague. There's a new threat. There's a new crisis. What's keeping you up at night? Something in the future that hasn't happened yet. And it's good to pray about that stuff. But Jesus gives us one thing to pray for about our future. One. Not a hundred. Not fifty. One thing that we should be concerned about in our, in our lives concerning our future. And the way that he puts it is lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Now, that's a big deal. Should we, should, we, should we be concerned about money? Should we be concerned about how are we going to eat next week? How am I going to pay my bills next month? I mean, you know, insurance has gone up in Florida. My insurance dropped me. You know, saying homeowners, like, like there's all these things in the future that, that are valid concerns, and Jesus says none of that is, is as important as making sure that you don't give in to temptation and that you pray for protection from the evil one. Laird Hamilton, he's a surfer. He's got a whole line of like food products now. Dude's made a you know, really good living in the surfing world, but he was the first big wave surfer. And so this guy was surfing you know, waves as, as tall as his church, three, four, five stories tall before big wave surfing was even a thing. And he wrote this book that I read a couple years ago. And in that book, he has a chapter on fear. And oftentimes when we come to church, we talk about fear and it's like, well, my grandma's got a verse, you know, etched on her pillow that says, fear not, you know? And we always talk about fear is bad. And there's a, there's a fear not verse for every day in the Bible, 365 of them. I don't think there is, but there could be. I haven't done the work. Has anybody done the work on that? I haven't, I haven't done the work on that. But usually when we talk about fear, it's a very bad thing, that the Christian shouldn't have fear in his life. But Laird Hamilton wrote about this thing that he calls healthy fear that's kept him alive in the ocean, that reminds him of what his, what his limits are, to, to know when, when he's able to push the boundaries and to know when that might result in something bad in his life. And so fear is most of the time it's a bad thing, but there's one time it's a good thing. Proverbs 29, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the ability to apply to my life what I know. And so fear, a lot of times, is re referenced as bad just across the board. But Jesus, I think, is introducing something into our prayer life that it's good to have a little bit of healthy fear. It's good to have a little bit of healthy fear of knowing that there is a real entity in the world that doesn't want you to live into the calling that God has for your life. That there's a real enemy, whether you want to realize it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, there is good and there's evil. He introduces it in the first line of the prayer, your kingdom come. He reminds us that there's this kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. 
and the kingdom of darkness does not sleep. The kingdom of darkness studies our weaknesses. The kingdom of darkness knows how to hit us, to have the greatest impact, that there really is an enemy in our life, that we're born into a world at war. And sometimes we, we, don't, we don't live with that healthy fear or sense of knowing that if God is, isn't, you know, wasn't protecting us, that there is a real enemy, we can talk to Job about this, who's just watching you, watching your life, not happy that you're here this morning with your family at church. That's why your car didn't start. That's why you got in a fight all the way here. Come on, right? That's why every Sunday morning when you decide I'm going to go to church, something else happens. You know, or, or you should do this, or you should do that, or the AC breaks, or, you know, it's like, it's like I, I don't understand it completely, but there is an enemy to your soul that doesn't want you to walk into all that God has for you and the freedom that he has for you. And the way that he does it, the way that he tries to distract us, because he can't, you know, control you like a puppet, but he can try to manipulate you from the outside. And that's what we call temptation. That's where Jesus says, you know, lead us not into temptation. And I want to look at that for just a few minutes. What, what, what is temptation? Tempta temptation is an outward solicitation to evil that touches on an inward propensity to do wrong. Temptation is a better way to say it. It's a sparkling bait hiding a deadly hook. And everybody's got it. Everybody has something in their life that if you were to take the bait, it wouldn't end well. And you're like, well, I don't like yellow. Well, the enemy's got orange too, okay? <laughs> he knows your flavor. He knows what he can use to trip you up. And so it, it, it looks so good and it looks so appealing. And, and that's the thing about temptation. I wanna, and I wanna talk about temptation for just a few moments because temptation itself is not bad. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. You know, temptation is not bad. Every person, whether you wanna admit it to yourself or not, you have a moment or something in your life where you're tempted. Something is dangled in front of you and you know the results of grabbing it is not gonna be good. And so we all have something in our life that, um, you know, can trip us up. James says it like this, the brother of Jesus. He wrote about it in James 1. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So every person has temptation. Then after desire is conceived, I bit the hook, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, what we like to do in church, though, is we like to point fingers at people that have a different temptation than us. Come on, can we be real? We like to point fingers that, at people who maybe are tripped up by things that we have victory in our lives over. And so we, we have to approach God knowing that we're all on the same playing field here, that we, we were all born into sin. There's this inward part of us. Nobody had to teach us when we were little kids to talk back. Nobody had to teach us when we were little kids to want to get mad and react or take something that we wanted, even if it wasn't ours. Nobody had to teach us to do that. It was just wired inside of you. 
thankful to, to, you know, to, 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 to the first Adam, right? It says we were all born with this inward desire to get off course. And so temptation itself is, is not bad. But the thing about temptation is it's what you do with it when it comes. And so a part, I think, of there's one big large camp in the Christian world that says, well, let's just avoid temptation altogether, I mean, just complete, let's go, let's go buy some acres out in the north, you know, in the middle of nowhere and let's build this big confine where we don't let anybody in and, 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 and we're just going to, we're going to completely put these walls up to the world and we're going to live in victory till Jesus comes, right? You've seen that and it gets really toxic fast. It's called a cult. <laughs> and Jesus didn't say go and hide. He didn't say avoid temptation at all costs. Let me see that. This thing's bothering me. All right, there we go. He didn't say avoid temptation at all costs. He didn't say just live in fear because there's an enemy prowling. And No, no, he, he, he said temptation's actually a good thing when it comes, depending on how you treat it and how you handle it. And God is more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. And so we try to like block out every bad thing in our life and we are, are, you know, avoid all this. And it's good and it's healthy to do that. But at some point, you're going to be tempted because wherever you go, there you are. Because it's not on the outside, it's something on the inside. So temptation itself is not bad. I think another common error with temptation that I have is that, you know, when I give in to temptation, it's not my fault. This is somebody else's fault. Hey, if you'd have been in my situation, if you'd have worked where I was working, if you'd have had to deal with his stuff over and over and over and over, if you'd have had my dad or my mom or my upbringing, it's a family tradition. I'm just passing it on, right? We got songs about it and we make excuses. Well, I just, I got it honestly. You know, I, I just, just walking into what my dad walked in and my grandpa walked in. But when it comes to sin, I think we have to all, the first step in recognizing it and, and getting, getting, you know, over that thing and victory over it in our life is to know that it's nobody else's fault. To take responsibility for our own actions. To know that when I've messed up or when I've made a mistake, it's not mom's fault or dad's fault or grandpa's fault or the pastor's fault or the pope's fault, whatever, like, or the devil's fault. It's no, something on the inside of me. I had a moment of weakness and we all have them. And so just for a few minutes, I, I want to talk about temptation because Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he was a theologian that lived about a hundred years ago and he wrote some, some uh, he wrote a, a book on temptation called Temptation. And he has some of the greatest material on how to guard our lives from temptation. And I'm going to quote him quite a bit. But he says this in his book. He says, you know, opportunity knocks, but temptation leans on the door. Right? Opportunity knocks, but temptation leans on the door. Maybe you knew this, this song when you were growing up or your mom sang it to you. You sang it in, in church. Oh, be careful, little lies, what you... Yeah. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Yeah. See, I was singing Inner Sandman when I was a kid. That was my, <laughs> I was staying up late, putting on MTV, waiting on Inner Sandman to come on. And uh, so I didn't know that song as a kid. But, but there's some truth to that song. And I want to go through that song. The first line in that song, it's a, it's a children's song. But the first line is, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And so temptation, one of the doors that comes into our life through is what I see. The Bible calls it our eye gate. 
that most of what comes into our life, good or bad, comes in through here. It's what we see every day. And if we go back to the original sin in the first temptation in Genesis 3, it says that when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Now, I'm going to give you a few more. Lot, Genesis 13, 10. You know the story of Lot. He looked back. It says that he looked around. He got his eyes off the prize. Joshua 7 talks about a, a, a man named Achan. And, and when I saw the plunder, God said, don't take the plunder. Don't take the gold. But he saw it first, and it was beautiful. It was 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold that, that he coveted them. And it started here. 2 Samuel 11, one evening David got up from his bed. When all the men were off at war, David decided to stay at home, and he was hanging out on the, on the edge and the ledge of the palace. And David knew back in that day the bathrooms and the bathtubs were on the tops of the houses. Convenient. And so he decides he's going to take a stroll, and he looks down, and he sees Bathsheba. Another verse talking about Samson and Delilah, that it was over time that, 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 that Samson was wore down by Delilah, that, that she was pleasing to the eyes. Now, why am I saying this? I'm not trying to put fear in you. I'm just saying you, you've got to protect what you see. I heard a psychologist talking about just the over-rampant availability of pornography in our culture right now. You can accidentally stumble into something that you can never get out of your mind. And he was saying that a middle school child can see more pornographic images in an afternoon than a king could have seen 2,000 years ago. And we can't act like that stuff don't hurt us because it does. <laughs> and, I'm not, you know, and I'm not sitting up here saying that I'm perfect, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that if you know that that's your struggle... And, and you know that the enemy is leaning on that part of your door, the best thing you can do is put up a guard. If you have a student, if you have a child, you should know what they're watching. Because there's this thing called an algorithm now that's fighting against you and me, that, that wants to keep you on the phone as long as they can. And it starts to study your habits. Starts to li it's listening to your conversations. I know this is crazy, but it, you know, you could talk about a Coleman grill, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. It's on your timeline. Why? Because you're, it's it's smarter than you. <laughs> and there's people making lots of money off of you staying on your phone or glued to a TV as long as possible, and they'll do whatever they need to do to keep you there. And so I don't think children are equipped to defeat this stuff. And, and so I'm not, I'm not saying you got to lock everything down, but I'm praying to keep my, my son off of a phone as long as possible. I mean, and, and we're really guarded about, and I know I'm old-fashioned and old fogey and all that, you know, whatever, but uh, I mean, I, it's just, there, there's irreparable damage that can be done by being exposed to things right now on a screen. So we got we to gotta guard. We, you wouldn't just let anyone into your home. You wouldn't just let anyone into your house. You wouldn't just let anyone into your living room, go through your kitchen and eat your food, right? right? And so, and so you, you got to treat your mind and your eyes the same way. You wouldn't just let anybody just, just speak into your life or to your spirit. And, and it's, so it's, it's, it's just, uh, you got to guard. You got to guard this. Guard what you see. 
Guard what you let in. Second thing is be, be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? And a few more choruses down, it's be careful, little heart, who you trust. Be careful, little heart, who you trust. And so what does that mean? Well, I think the heart is the seed of our emotions. It's what you feel. It's what you feel. And I can't tell you how many bad decisions I've made because I felt like it. I just don't feel like going to school today. Well, that's a bad decision. <laughs> yeah, I figured that out pretty. Or I don't, I don't feel like going to work. That's fine. I mean, you, you don't have to have air conditioner and power to your house and, I mean, all this stuff. I mean, I, like I just, you know, your, your, your flesh is fighting against you. And, and, and your feelings can't be trusted all the time. Well, I just felt like it was right. Well, it just felt right. Well, just, well you know, your feelings will lie to you. Well, it's getting quiet, Jesus. Help me here. Your, your feelings will lie to you. You can't always trust your feelings. Now, your, your, your feelings are real, but they're not always right. And they're a terrible thing to trust when you're trying to make a good decision. Your, your feelings will, you know, Psalm 37 verse 4 talks about how if we, if we take delight in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. And I love that verse because a lot of times we don't even know what we desire. But here's the flip side of that. There's an enemy that's alive that wants you to trip up, and he also knows what your, the desires of your heart are. Those deep, dark emotions that we all have, whether we want to admit it or not, Freud called it our shadow, and so there's God saying, I want to give you, I want to fulfill your life. But then there's an enemy out there saying, I want to fulfill your life. And temptation, I think, is this. It's trying to fulfill a healthy desire in an unhealthy way. Well, I'm lonely and I really want somebody there. So I'm going to compromise on what I know is right because I really just, I just, I just need this. Or I, I can't seem to save enough money and, and I, I really want to be able to pay my debt off, but I'm going to take this from somebody else because I'm going to try to fulfill a healthy desire in an unhealthy way. I really got to pass this test and I don't think I can do it on my own, so I'm just going to look at my neighbor's sheet. And I got the grade, but I compromised on my convictions. I compromised on what I know is right. And that's what the devil wants you to do. He, he wants to try to fulfill these desires in a very, very unhealthy way. Take the bait. Sin always promises more than underdelivers. You got to guard your emotions. You got to guard your heart. I talked about Diedrich Bonhoeffer a little bit. So he was involved in multiple attempts on the life of Hitler. So he was a part of, he was close to him and had, uh, you know, other people that were in his circle. And in his book, he wrote about the, he wrote about the struggle to want to kill the guy. Pretty noble desire, right? He was a terrible man. I mean, he was evil. But he struggled with it. Because there's somewhere in the Bible that says you're not supposed to kill people. I think it's in there. And so while he was in prison, he wrote about this struggle. And, and I mean, not just one plot, he was involved in multiple attempts. Bomb on a plane, an officer that was close to Hitler that he could get a, get a gun in and take him out. And he ended up getting caught. And I want to read this to you. He wrote this waiting in his prison cell, waiting to be let off, to be hung. 
because they found out that he was a part of trying to take out Hitler. And he says, in our members, there's a slumbering inclination that's both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire ceases mastery over our body. Doesn't matter what the desire is. Could be lust, pride, bitterness, hatred, passion, love for the world. But joy in God is being extinguished in us, and we seek all our joy in other things. It's in this moment God is quite unreal to us when we focus on the sensual, and we lose all reality of God. Satan does not fill us with a hatred for God, but a forgetfulness of God. Your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings, you can't always trust them. And so we got to be careful, little eyes, what we see. We got to be careful, little heart, what we trust, who we trust. And then the next line is be careful, little mind, what you think. Be careful, little mind, what you think. And so not every thought that comes into your mind is a good thought. Not every thought that comes into your mind is something that you should trust. And I think part of walking out this journey and, 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 and walking into the freedom that God has for our lives is knowing when our minds are lying to us. Because I think the real battlefield for the Christian is right here. These fiery darts, these, these, these thoughts that hit us that are just, I don't even know where that came from, right? Driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, I'm going to just ram them. <laughs> Seriously, that happens to me. Y'all pray for me. Okay, I, mean, I know that don't happen to you. Or, or you know, some, you know just, just, just things that come into my mind. I'm like, whoa, if I do that, I'm going to go to jail. You know, so I got to so say, that's probably not the one I need to take there. Right? You know, that's probably not the one I need to act on. Not, not every thought is a good thought. And so we got to decipher what, what is God and, and, and what is not. Romans 12, verse 2, the way that we walk in all that God has for us, the way that we are sanctified and, and, and walk into this new life is that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we have to be very careful what we fill our minds with. We got to be very careful who we allow to speak into our heads and, and, and what we gravitate to. And, and I think this goes all the way down to, to like music we're listening to. And shows we're watching, and people that we're looking up to. We gotta be careful. We gotta, we gotta guard our minds. Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so he connects the head and the heart, so is he. And I've found in my life what fills my mind will eventually fill my world. And, and, and your, the, your mind is so critical. You want to guard it. You want to filter what comes in it. You want to filter what you, what you grab a hold to and, and believe because eventually what's filling your mind will fill your life. What's filling my mind will fill my life. And so I've got to guard against what comes in my eyes, what, what I feel and what comes in to my mind. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. Are you, are you depressed yet? This is going to really get you, okay? I know it's so quiet in here. This is how serious Jesus is saying, taking when, when you find yourself caught in a snare and you can't get out. 
Because you know, you know when a fish bites a hook, it would do anything to get off the line, right? It doesn't want to stay there. It knows, I mean, I think it might know what's about to happen. But what happens when you bite and you can't get off? Jesus said this, Matthew 5, if your right eye causes you to stumble, this is hard, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into Hades. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to end up caught in this snare. I think what Jesus is saying here, not to cut your hand off, right, or gouge your eye out, but I think the illustration here is if you know something is, is continually causing you to fall, do everything you can to get it out of your life. If you're in a job and a person's tempting you and, you, and you're about to step into a, to something you know is wrong, sir or ma'am, it's better to quit the job and keep the covenant because sometimes we can get so entrapped in sin that it's almost like breaking a, a core relationship, cutting a hand off, getting rid of an eye to get free from it. But Jesus is saying it's worth it. It's worth it because on the other side of it, there's, there's victory. And on the other side of it, there's hope and there's healing. And, and, and what I want to leave you with is that every single time temptation comes our way, the Bible tells us God always gives us a way of escape. Every time. That no matter how far down the road that we have walked in this thing, no matter how much it's our identity, it's never a, a, too late to make a good decision. <laughs> It's never too late to say, okay, this is as far as I'm going to go. That, that song, be careful, little eye, what you see, be careful, little heart, who you trust, because the Father up above is looking down in love. And I don't think we can discipline ourselves into a life that's free from temptation. I don't think we can will ourselves out of some things. We have to run to God <laughs> in order to run from some of the things in our life. That's the only way to do it. I mean, I, I, mean it's, it's, I think we major on the minors sometimes. Like, like you can put up every filter and every block and you can get in an accountability group and you can join Celebrate Recovery, which I think is awesome, right? But, but the bottom line is this, to get the freedom that God wants in our life, we have to be daily dependent on him. Step one, right? A higher power. Admit that I can't beat this thing. Admit that this has got my life in a place that I don't want to be. I've gone further than I wanted to go. I've spent more than I want to spend, and I'm ready for my life to change. Man, it's quiet. <laughs> it's better to shun the bait than to struggle in the snare. It's better to shun the bait. It's better to shun the bait. It's better just to say, you know what, I'm going to put up a guard. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I think when somebody tells me that to me, I, I think higher of that person. When they tell me there's certain places they can't go and there's certain things they can't do and, and I, I can't get around, you know, these types of environments because I've struggled with that in the past. That's not a weak person. That's a strong person. That's somebody who knows what their struggle is and knows what their weakness is and has put up some healthy boundaries in their life. It's, it's somebody with character. 
And I don't know why God put it and made it this way, but there's, there's strength found in our weaknesses. That's the way he set this thing up. That when we admit our weakness and when we know what that thing is, the Pharisees had it all wrong. They, they went around and it's like, look at me, we're perfect. They paraded around on the street. Look at how much we pray. Look at how much we give. And Jesus was like on the inside though. It's the imperfections in our life. It's the weaknesses. It's the places where we fall short, where God's glory comes through. The thing you're not proud of, the thing you're avoiding, the thing you don't like to talk about or why you decided not to come to church anymore because people are talking. It's in our weaknesses we find his strength. So I think sometimes we can get so beat up and battered by life and we can give in to something so many times that we feel like this is just the way life's always gonna be. I'm always gonna be addicted to this. I'm always gonna struggle with this. I'm always gonna have this shame. I'm always gonna have this guilt in my life. But I want you to know that you were created for victory, not defeat. Somebody needs to hear that. You were created for victory, not defeat. Now, you may make some mistakes along the way. You may, you know, the Bible talks about a good man falls seven times, but you know what he does? And he just keeps getting back up. He just keeps getting back up. Look at this verse in Jude, kind of tucked away at the very end. To him that is able to keep you from falling. That should really say, to him that is able to keep you from staying down. And some of you have been down a while. And God is saying, just come to me with it. I can help you. I can give you the strength you need. Does anybody know what this is? It's a golf ball. Apparently back when they first made golfing, these balls were completely smooth. Did you know that? <laughs> and over time, what would happen is they would they would beat these balls in and, and, and they would, from just the wear and tear of being used and the game playing the ball, they started to get these indentions, dents. And eventually some golfer figured out, they call them dimples, that the balls that had been beat up the most went the farthest. And so now on an average golf ball, there's 388 dimples in this thing. One for every day and some. Come on, right? And so I just want you to know, and it's, and it's not just a little bit, you get twice the distance on a ball that has dimples, that's been hit, that's been through some stuff. And so I want you to see your life that way. That maybe you've, you know, you've made some mistakes. You've got some stuff in your life you're not proud of. It's like, but maybe that's the thing that God's using to get you a little farther, to prepare you for something really good, that all things work together for good, that, that there's, it's, there's dimples in our life. And that it just blew my mind when I read that because it's the stuff we try to hide and it's the stuff we're not proud of that God's saying, that's, that's where I want to show up in your life. So I want you just to bow your head with me this morning. 
And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like this golf ball. <laughs> you feel like you've been beat up. You've had some things in your life happen to you. You've made some mistakes that you felt like maybe disqualified you from God ever using your life. But it's in our weakness. It's in our shortcomings. It's, it's there that we find the strength that we need. And so today I want to pray for every person that's just felt, you felt used, you felt like maybe you're not good enough or you felt this shame in your life that you've been carrying this stuff around, something that happened to you or something that you've been through and it's just been this weight. And I think God wants to lift that off your life today. that when Jesus was on the cross, he said these, his last words, it is finished, it is finished. And that was his way of saying, I've paid in full for every temple that you might endure, for every hurt, for every pain. If you just bring it to me, I can rescue you, I can help you, and I can restore the things that have been lost in your life. And I, I believe God is calling us this morning to just a renewed commitment to him. Just to say, Lord, you know, I give you my stuff. I give you my good stuff and my bad stuff. The things I'm proud of, the things I'm not so proud of. My strengths and my weaknesses. I just lay it all at your feet today. And so if you want to do that, you just want to renew, renew your trust in a God who's able to take your mistakes and make something great out of them. I just want you to slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Just identify yourself this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I'm just renewing my faith in a God who can take my history and make it his story, make it something great. Thank you. Thank you. So God, every hand that went up, Lord, we just thank you so much. God, we know that you've always got a plan and a purpose, even in the pain, even when we make mistakes, you're a God who redeems us. And so, Father, we just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.